Take your Bible with me tonight and turn to John chapter 15. We're going to get to uh, Galatians here in a few minutes. But we've been studying together about the work of the Holy Spirit. I think most people know, at least in church, know who Jesus is. He's the one who came to this earth, who was born in a manger. He grew up, lived a perfect life, and He died for our sin. We know who God the Father is. God the Father, we think of God, we, we pray to God. God is holy, God is high, God is powerful, God is wonderful. All of these things about God, He's just. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit or the person of the Holy Spirit is that third member of the Trinity. And just as God the Father is God and Jesus is God, so the Holy Spirit is God. And we started out, now it's been eight weeks ago, nine weeks ago, looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, how He works to help us in salvation and in sanctification and in helping us to grow to be what God wants us to be. A few weeks ago, we looked at the struggle of the flesh against the Spirit and the battle that we face daily in our lives as Christians. Last week, we looked at the sword of the Spirit, which is, what is it? It's the Word of God, right? And God's given us this sword with the Holy Spirit's power in and through it to be able to help us to fight and to go forward in the life that God has given us. But tonight we're looking at the stream of the Spirit. How many of you have ever planted a garden or planted any sort of plants, vegetables, fruit plants, anything like that? Quite a few of you. My family last year, we made one of those raised beds and, uh, in our backyard and started a little gardening project. We planted some tomatoes and peppers and we went to the rodeo last year. In fact, we were there the last day it closed for COVID. So we were there, you know, right at the very end. And uh, we, the kids went through this little exhibit where they talked about things growing and they got to get their very own sunflower seeds planted in those little cups, you know. So when you have five kids, it'd be even worse if you had eight kids. You come home and you got five sets of cups full of sunflower seeds I can imagine the Ells family coming home with eight sets of cups on the windowsill trying to keep all these sunflowers alive. And you always know one kid's sunflowers are going to die and another one's going to live. You know, you're trying to help them all go. Well, anyway, we got those sunflower seeds and they started to sprout in the cups and we took them out into that little raised bed in the backyard and we planted them in the soil. And boy, those sunflowers took off. And we took some pictures last summer. Some of them got up to eight feet tall and... That's even taller than me, believe it or not. And those sunflowers were giant. We took the seeds and we dried them and we, you know, salted them. We even got to eat sunflowers from our own plants. Now, think about this. When you plant things, in order for them to grow, it requires certain moisture, certain nutrients, certain ingredients to help that plant to grow and to bear fruit. When you first plant a plant, in fact, there is no fruit from the plant, it takes a long time for that fruit to develop. Now contrast that garden last year that we had, that we ate lots of vegetables out of, to a garden that we planted several years ago now when my family and I still lived in Indiana. We had, a, had a, about an acre or so of land there around our house, and we, we, I dug out a spot behind the shed and we planted a bunch of plants there and we got them growing and things were coming up looking good. Well, in, in Indiana, the weather is 
in the summertime is not near as hot as it is here. It, we, we had quite a bit of rain most of the time. It was a really good place to grow things. That's why they grow lots of corn in Indiana. And uh, so we had this little garden growing. Well, our family had to go out of town for a week. And while we were out of town, we had just the driest, hottest week of the whole summer. And because those plants weren't getting regular water that week, we came home to a dried up, dead garden. You know, in order for plants to grow, they need certain things. They need water. They need the nutrients that come through the soil. But you know, the spiritual life is the same way. You and I are organic things in that regard. And in order for us to grow spiritually, it all starts with the fertile soil of a soft heart. That's a, that's a willingness to hear from God, a humility, a willingness to say, God, it's not my plans, it's your plans. A soft heart, the fertile soil, a soft heart, seeded then with the word of God. God's word is like that seed that planted in the fertile heart and then nourished through the watering presence of the Holy Spirit to help us grow. Our spiritual lives are made up of these three elements all working together to produce the right kind of spiritual fruit. Exposure to the right spiritual nutrients and elements triggers a natural process of transformation and fruit bearing. It's possible, though, to become discouraged, distracted, and disinterested until we stop growing. So, think about your life. Which one are you? Are you the fruitful garden? Are you the one that's bringing forth fruit? Are you seeing God's work in your life? Or do you say, no, if I was honest, I feel a little dried up tonight. We've talked about the struggle of the flesh against the spirit. But tonight I want us to focus in on what it looks like when we allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in and through us. Because God's Holy Spirit can and will bring forth fruit in our lives. And the Bible has a lot to say about becoming a fruitful Christian. So you're in John chapter 15. And please forgive me, you've got notes in front of you hopefully, but I didn't get them up on the screen for you tonight. I had lots of other things on my mind today, and the first time I even thought about putting the slides together was when Jonathan, who's running the slides tonight, said, Pastor, do you have slides for tonight? And literally, that's the first time I remembered. So that means you're actually going to have to look up verses in, in a real Bible, and you're going to have to write down on your own paper. So that might be a stretch, but I think you can do it, all right? John chapter 15, the Bible says in verse 1, I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking here, by the way. And my father is the husbandman. He's the one tending the vine. He's like the farmer. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. Jesus says in verse 5, I am the vine, 
Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth, the next two words, much fruit. And then let's all say that last phrase together. If you have it there in your Bible, it says this, For without me ye can do nothing. That's a very cut and dry statement, isn't it? Without me, you can do nothing. Think about it. If you're a branch or a branch is growing on a tree, if that branch gets cut off from the tree, that branch withers away and dies. There's no fruit being produced by that branch. May have been some fruit already hanging on the branch when the branch got cut off, but there's no new fruit going to grow in its place. And that's the picture Jesus is using for us here to describe what the Christian life looks like. If we are going to grow, we must abide in Him, abide in Jesus Christ. See, all fruitfulness begins with Jesus. He is the source. He is the vine. We are the branches. We receive our nutrients and our life from Him. The point of this passage here that we just read is that the Lord wants us to continually bear fruit that glorifies Him. Here's a hard truth to realize, but it's very true. There is nothing good about you or me except what Jesus and His Holy Spirit are doing in you. Apart from Him, as we all just read together, we can do nothing in our own selves. Fruit does not grow naturally. You know what grows naturally? Weeds. Spiritually speaking, if we're going to grow, we must maintain a daily, dependent, abiding relationship with Christ so that that supernatural growth cycle that is spoken of in God's Word can take place. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, verse 20, By their fruits ye shall know them. If somebody were to look at your life, they were to come in as the fruit inspector, what would they find? Would there be any fruit? Dried up fruit? Rotten fruit? What kind of fruit would they find? When others look at you and see your life, do they see the unquestionable evidence of God? Or do they see just a bunch of you? Is there anything remarkable or outstanding about the spiritual growth in your life? Are you exhibiting any qualities that would indicate a supernatural, transformational work taking place inside of you? I think if we're honest, a lot of us would have to say, no, or maybe not as much as there should be. See, Christians who live in the power of the Holy Spirit are a marvel to this secular world. To be able to go where you've been, to be able to live like you live, people say, there must be something wrong with him. We say, no, there's something right. It's God at work in him. Because what you were doing before you were saved, that was natural. 
What you're doing now is very unnatural to the humankind. It's supernatural. It's a work that only God can do. Tonight, in just a minute, we're going to move over to Galatians, and we're going to look at what are known as the fruit of the Spirit. We won't get through all of them tonight. I already have a bunch planned for next week, but fruit doesn't come in you naturally. It's something that God produces in and through you, because without Him, you can do nothing. So number one there in your notes, very simply, abide in the vine. Abide in the vine. So let's turn over now to Galatians chapter 5. Really, that's just an introduction. We had to have a, I wanted to have a good introduction there as we get into the fruit of the Spirit. Because if you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard messages on the fruit of the Spirit. It's a very important thing for us to consider. But if you've heard it before, don't tune it out. I needed this challenge this week, and you do too. Because if we're honest, if you, we were inspecting our own fruit, even the most spiritual one in here would have to say, eh, I think there are some areas where there could be more fruit. So number two there, very simply in your notes, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 say this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Now, one point I want to make as we begin looking at the fruit of the Spirit together tonight is this. These are not fruits, plural. These are, or they are, fruit. You say, why does that matter? It's because all of these, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, they come together as a singular result of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Some people would like to look at this list in Galatians chapter 5 and the list of the fruit of the Spirit and say, well, I have love, well, but I don't have any peace. Well, so I need to work on the peace, but I already have love. No, I think what this passage is teaching us by the mere fact that it says the fruit of the Spirit is that all of these things should be being developed in the life of a believer who's abiding in the vine. If you're walking with the Lord in the way that you should, one evidence of that is, is that you will be seeing all of this fruit being borne out in your life. Be sort of like if you went to my garden where they were all, all these different plants are receiving the proper nutrients and the proper water, but only the tomatoes were bearing fruit. And the peppers and the onions and everything else were not. We'd say, there's something wrong here. Everything, it's the right soil, it's the right temperature, it's all getting enough moisture, there's the right nutrients and everything, the right fertilizer, but why is there only one kind of fruit? If you were to look at your life tonight and say, well, there's only one or two of these evidenced in my life, but the rest are very small or non-existent, then I would tell you there's some major issues in your walk with the Lord. Don't look at this list and pat yourself on the back because you're doing really good in one area, but you're missing a whole bunch of the other ones. Understand, the person who's walking in the Spirit, who's growing in their relationship with God, should be seeing all of these various areas growing towards maturity in your life. 
Now, I want to encourage you. This doesn't mean that you might find some of these easier than others. But this is not a list where it's like, well, I'm working really hard on the love right now, but I don't need to worry about having any joy. I'll get to that one later. Does that make sense? We ought to see all of these things growing in our life if we're walking and bearing out the fruit of the Spirit. The first one in our list is love. Is love, true love, even a real thing? Is it even possible? In our culture, people are starving for love. They're, they're looking for it in all of the wrong places, trying to find somebody to just affirm them or agree with them. And they say, that's love. As long as you say what I'm doing is okay, therefore you love me. If you don't agree with what I say about myself, then you don't love me. But can I tell you tonight, if love is the fruit of the Spirit, then the only way to experience true love and to show true love is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason so many fall so short when it comes to true love is because they don't have the Holy Spirit working in and through them. And if you're struggling to find love or to give love as you ought, that's not just a background issue. That's not just a mental problem. That's not just a cumulative uh, consequence of your circumstances. It's actually a spiritual problem. The wonderful thing about spiritual problems is God has the answer to spiritual problems in His Word. So this is not a hopeless matter. Well, I just never have love then. Never experience love. Never be able to show love. No, you can. But in order to experience and to demonstrate true love, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit working through you. Now, some of you, the light bulb may be coming on right about now and saying, oh, that's why it didn't work very well when I was trying to do it my own way. You can sort of make it look good from the outside for a while, but the only way to have true love, true sacrificial love, love that gives of itself, love that endures, love that keeps on and doesn't give up, love that covers a multitude of sins kind of love, that takes the work of the Holy Spirit in and through you. In 1 Corinthians 13, that's probably the most well-known chapter in the Bible on the subject of love. And it summarizes love in the following ways. I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. Love does not behave unbecomingly. Love does not seek its own. Love is not easily provoked. And love does not harbor evil. Now, I just read you a list of eight or ten things that love is and that love is not. I mean, how would you ever perfect that list? If it says this is what love is and this is what love is not, you could work for 10 lifetimes and never be able to perfect it. Grandma's iPod's reading to us, I think, during the service. It's tough being a grandma when your grandson's preaching. That's okay. She's going to get it figured out there. It's all right. I'm glad it was reading the Bible, not something else. Then it would have been really bad, right? 
that started reading her Facebook feed or newspaper or something, then she'd been really embarrassed. But at least it was the Bible. All right, love. How could you ever perfect that list in 1 Corinthians 13? You say, well, I could never do it, so it's impossible. True love is impossible. Well, humanly speaking, it is. Or you could yield yourself to the Holy Spirit's work in your life and let this fruit grow and develop in you. Remember, fruit doesn't come right when the plant is planted. It takes time for this to develop. A lot of people in their spiritual life want to see instantaneous change. The instantaneous change happens when you accept Christ as your Savior. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. You're a new creature in Him. Remember we talked about that? But as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the struggle between the flesh and the Spirit still goes on because you are a new person living in an old body. So in order to experience real spiritual fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, love being the first example of this, it will take time. So don't give up just because you struggle right away. Yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. Walk with Him. Firmly attach yourself to the vine, which is Jesus Christ. How do we learn more about Jesus Christ? Through His Word. The more we put the Word of God into our heart, with a heart that's yielded to obey God and do what He wants us to do, the more we allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in and through us to begin to develop the fruit that God wants to bring through our lives. So if you're trying to love without the Holy Spirit's work in your life, you're trying to do something that you will just fail at over and over and over again. But if you will submit yourself to the Lord, confess your sin to Him, walk in obedience to His Word, and continue to fill your mind with the truth of God's Word and purpose daily to walk in that truth, in time, as the Holy Spirit continues to do His work, you will begin to see little fruit coming out in your life. Now, I always love it when the garden's growing and I, you know, the, the tomato plant gets that yellow flower on it. You know, there's a sign that there's going to be some fruit there. It's not there yet, but it's coming. And then that flower starts to wither a little bit, and there's a little bitty fruit, a little bitty tomato that starts to grow up there where that flower was. And it gets a little bigger and a little bigger and a little bigger. And I remember even as a boy resisting the urge to go out and pick that fruit because it's got to get a little bit bigger, 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 and it's green, green, and you're waiting for it to start to turn, to ripen, because then you know the fruit is ready. Good fruit takes time to develop. Good spiritual fruit takes time to develop in your life. But imagine if we saw that tomato plant, and it was flowering, or that fruit was just starting to show up, and all of a sudden we walked along and yanked it out of the dirt, and threw it up against the house where the sun beats down real hard, where there's no soil and where it's not going to get any water, what's going to happen? That fruit will stop to develop. And some people do that to themselves spiritually. As God is beginning to do a work, they get distracted. They get discouraged. 
Because they want the fruit done. They want it ready. They want to be able to see it and experience it. And it's just not all the way there yet. You've got to let God continue His work in you to develop the fruit. And it takes time. Love. The second one, joy. Joy. True joy. People have been looking for joy ever since the world was created. Voltaire, the French philosopher, wrote this, I wish I had never been born. Alexander the Great, after he finished conquering all of the then-known world, sat down and wept, and he said, There are no more worlds to conquer. Conquering the whole world didn't bring joy to Alexander the Great. In fact, researchers have found no correlation between true joy or happiness and income levels. In fact, it seems to be opposite, that the more money people make, the more depression, divorce, suicide, alcoholism, and drug abuse increase as well. It's not just a poverty problem. It's a spiritual problem. This world would have you believe if people just had more money, they'd be happy. Well, a lot of you got more money a few weeks ago. Do you feel happier? You probably forgot you even got more money until I just told you. Because it quickly passes away. People will grasp for more money, possessions, fame, power, or even painkillers to make them happy and bring them joy. But all of these leave the heart destitute and disappoint, disappointed. The Holy Spirit's fruit of joy, though, runs so deep, you can even experience it through suffering. That's not just a preacher making a statement. I want to show you from God's Word where it teaches us that. 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter, Peter was writing a letter to Christians who were going through great physical suffering and persecution for their faith. Their willingness to follow God meant they were facing great persecution. And Peter wrote to them in verse 6 of 1 Peter 1, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now, for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Listen to verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found, here it is, unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, and this is Jesus, having not seen, you haven't seen him yet, you love him in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, remember they're going through this trial, it's really hard, it's really difficult, but he says you believe in Jesus, he says ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. How can somebody who's going through great suffering rejoice? Paul told the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord! Again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice Him always. And again, I say, rejoice. How could they do that? It wasn't easy being a Christian in Philippi. In fact, most of these Christians back in that time, it wasn't easy anywhere to be a Christian. So how could they have joy? Well, because of the work of the Spirit in them. It gives them joy. Why? Because their hope 
is not in this world. Their hope was not in the finances that they could earn. Their hope was not even the safety that their house or their strength might bring. Their hope was found in the Lord. And when your hope is in the Lord, you can have true joy. It's hard to take away your joy when your joy is in something that can never be taken away. The reason a lot of people don't have joy is because they're putting their hope, they're putting their, all their eggs, so to speak, in the basket that can be dropped and broken and taken away. But if you'll walk in the Lord, if walk with the Lord, if you'll be obedient to His Word, if daily you get up and say, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen today, but I trust in You. God, direct me step by step, moment by moment. Lord, I'm going to rejoice in You. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always. There's nothing that can take that away. Now, as you're busy rejoicing in the Lord, will things come along and try to distract you, get you to take your eyes off the Lord? It's like old Peter when he was out walking on the water in the storm. And the waves got big and he looked down. Sure enough, he began to sink. When you struggle and you feel yourself losing your joy, put your eyes back on the Lord. Look to Him. Look to His Word. Find the answers in Him. Remind yourself, this world is not my home. Like the song says, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Where's your joy? Do you have any tonight? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And then peace. Peace. According to recent studies, the world has known only 292 years of peace since 3,600 B.C. That was a long time ago, by the way. Since that year, there have been 14,351 wars in which 3.64 billion people have died. In addition, it's remarkable that over 8,000 peace treaties have been made and broken over the same period of time. What brings peace? Say, well, the world just needs more yoga, more meditation, more religion. I would tell you this tonight, peace is not being where there is no storm or difficulty. Peace is being in the midst of all those things and remaining calm in your heart. A lot of people are looking for peace just by getting out of all the problems. That's not true peace. That's ignoring reality. Peace is being able to be right in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the most difficult thing in your life, and being able to still be at peace with God. We looked at Philippians 4 where Paul says to rejoice in the Lord. Well, just a couple verses later in verse 6 he says, be careful for nothing. Don't be worried all the time. But, he says, in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your heart and mind by or through Christ Jesus. Brother Ernie, you'll enjoy this. I read about some Korean Christians who faced some great persecution. And they made this statement to a missionary they said, we are like nails. The harder you drive us, 
the deeper you drive us. The deeper you drive us, the more peaceful it becomes. You think about that nail when you first hammered into a board, it, it, you can wiggle it all over the place, but the deeper you drive that nail, nothing can move it once it gets all the way in. I thought that was an interesting analogy. Because life is difficult. Life comes at you hard sometimes. And they said, we're like nails. The harder it gets, the deeper we're driven into the solid rock of Jesus Christ. We're the nails, the board is Jesus. The deeper we're driven into Jesus, the more peaceful we become. See, when the Holy Spirit produces peace in your life, again, not something that can be taken away, not something that can change, but when the Holy Spirit produces peace, it doesn't matter how great the pressure is in your life. It only matters that the pressure push, pushes you closer to Jesus. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. What a great thought. Let God's peace rule in your heart. Something's going to rule over you. That means it has control. It has power over. You listen to it. You obey it. Obey the Lord. Let His peace rule in your heart. There's a lot in this world that will take away your peace. People walking around, peace, peace, when there is no peace. But the peace of God, it passes all understanding. Let it rule your heart. Rule your heart. Somebody said this, sometimes the Lord rides out the storm with us and other times He calms the restless sea around us. But most of all, He calms the storm inside us in our deepest inner soul. I like that. Sometimes He calms the storm around us. Sometimes He rides out the storm with us. But most of all, He calms the storm inside of us, in our deepest inner soul. See, the secret to Christian growth is not that all your problems are taken away. Walking with God doesn't mean it won't be hard, but as God, through His Spirit, develops the fruit of the Spirit in you, you can give and receive true love. You can experience what it's like to live with true joy. You can live in a place of perfect peace. And then finally this evening, I want you to see one more long-suffering, long-suffering. This is patience. Now, I read about the date palms that grow. They don't grow here locally. But maybe you've had cereal with dates in it. You know, the fruit, the date. Did you know date palms take four years to bear fruit? But they take 80 years before they really begin to be prosperous and bearing lots of fruit. 80 years. And after 80 years, they begin bearing around 100 pounds of fruit every year. But their best fruit is when they get to be about 100 years old. 
100 years old. That's when they reach their full potential. Some of you in your life, maybe you just trusted Christ. Maybe you trusted Him. You feel like it's been a while, but you haven't experienced all that fruit. It takes time. Like that palm, it took four years before it even has any fruit. And then another 76 years before it really starts being very fruitful. And a hundred years before it gets to its very peak. So, long-suffering. This is patience. Patience literally means slow to wrath. Patiently waiting without becoming angry. One author said it this way, long-suffering is the grace of a man who could revenge himself but does not. That's a good thought, isn't it? He, he could get even, but he withholds it. He does not. There's a story about Abraham Lincoln before he was elected president when he was working as a lawyer. And there was a man in the town where he lived at the time who really had it out for his neighbor. See, his neighbor owed him about $2.50 and hadn't paid up. And so the man said, I want to sue my neighbor. And I just go to him and ask for the money again. He said, I want to sue him. He probably would have lived well in 2021. Anyway, he just wanted to sue his neighbor for $2.50. And he came to Abraham Lincoln because he was kind of the only lawyer in town and says, I need you to help me take this guy to court. Abe Lincoln didn't want to do it, didn't want to do it for $2.50. Even though maybe that's a lot more money back then, he still didn't want to do it. So he finally told the man, okay, I'll do it. But you have to pay me up front, and my, my charge, my fee is $10. The man gladly paid the $10, and then Abraham Lincoln took that $10, and he took $5 of it, and he gave it to the other man, and then the man, took the man to court where the man promptly admitted to owing $2.50, paid the man off his $2.50, and went home. See, it was a lot more expensive to get even than it was to be long-suffering. That's so true in life, isn't it? When we face struggle, when we face pain, when we get hurt, when people treat us the wrong way, the natural response, the human response, is to get even. But I would tell you this, it'll cost you more to get even. It would be far better to submit to the Holy Spirit. Submit to His Word. It may feel at first like it's just ready to burst out of you at any moment. I don't know how I can hold on to this. I don't know how I can be patient anymore. Submit yourself to the Lord. Submit yourself to His Word. Read it. Meditate upon it. Think about it. Pray over it. And you too can experience the fruit of of long-suffering in your life. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. These are just the first four. We'll look at the next ones next week. Probably two weeks. As I said Sunday, I will say it again tonight, I would encourage you to take a look at yourself tonight in the mirror of God's Word. 
as you look at your own life, as you do some fruit inspecting, do you see the fruit that you want to see? Do you see the fruit that God is trying to bring forth in your life? I think all of us in some way or another would say, ah, there, there could, I could be doing some things differently. Listen, without Him, you can do nothing. And there will be some people who will go away and say, I'm just going to try harder to be loving and joyful. I, I, I'm just going to try harder to be more long-suffering. And you'll fail like you've been failing. And you'll get frustrated and you'll say, you know what, I knew that wasn't going to work. And it sounded good in church on Wednesday night, but in real life, that's not actually working. Because without Him, you can do nothing. So the way to experience that fruit in your life is not to just say, I'm going to go out and try harder. It's to leave this place and say, no, Lord, I'm going to submit myself to you. Teach me what you need to teach me. Like King David said, Lord, search my heart. Try my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the path everlasting. Get in the word of God. Spend time in prayer. You say, well, it's not happening fast. Fruit takes a lot of time to grow. But oh, at the end of the season, or in harvest time, when we'd come to the table and we'd have those fresh vegetables chopped up into a salad, those fresh tomatoes chopped up and, and the cucumbers and some peppers and things, it tastes so good. And you know, when you're biting into that tomato, if you like tomatoes like me, you tend to forget, wow, we planted this thing months ago. All those trips out to water it, all the times you put stuff on it to get the bugs off it, you just say, this is so good. I'm so glad we get to enjoy this fruit together. You know, spiritual fruit's a lot the same way. In fact, I think it's even better. Because as you experience the spiritual fruit being developed in your own life, it, it's, so, it's all worth it. It's worth the time. It's worth the study of God's Word. It's worth the denying yourself and submitting yourself to Him. It's worth all the confession of sin. It's worth it to experience spiritual fruit in your life. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for this great, great truth. Lord, you've been doing a great work in our church over the last several weeks. As people have been dealing with issues in their heart, committing themselves to you. People are following you in obedience. Even when it means publicly declaring their faith in you and publicly declaring their desire to walk with you. Father, I pray that you'd help every single one of us to get serious about examining the fruit in our lives. This is fruit we can't develop in our own strength because in our, by ourselves we can do nothing. Pray that we would look into your word We'd spend time with you each day that when we struggle with attitudes and actions that we know are wrong, that we'd confess them to you and ask for your strength and your help to live each day submitted to your will and to your plan. That your spirit would strengthen our spirit as we battle the flesh every day. And that in time, as we patiently wait your working in us, we can see the fruit of the spirit develop in us.
Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray.